Welcome back, everyone. Our sponsor today is IMI. IMI's mission is simple. Help healthcare professionals ensure the safe delivery of medications from pharmacy to patient. IMI's industry-leading PrepLock line of tamper-evident caps are an active deterrent to diversion, guard the sterility and integrity of medications, and increase pharmacists' peace of mind. See IMI's complete line of innovative tamper-evident products and how they work at imi.web, or imiweb.com, excuse me. Today, my guest is Matthew Zinder. He is the owner of Zinder Anesthesia, the host of the Provider Wellness Podcast, and the co-founder of the Provider Wellness Symposium. Welcome, Matt. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. I want to start with giving everyone an overview of Zinder Anesthesia and the services that you provide. Uh, well, Zinder Anesthesia is a mobile anesthesia group uh, in the state of Maryland. Uh, we have been around since 1984. My father actually founded the group. Uh, and just as a quick anecdotal aside, my father is actually the first CRNA in the country to bill for his own services. Uh, when legislation came out that uh, CRNAs could bill for their own services for Medicare back in the early 80s, my father left his chief CRNA position in a downtown Baltimore hospital and started uh, Zinder Anesthesia, the uh, practice I now own. Uh, the, we, the, the reason we know he is the first CRNA to bill for his own services is his Medicare ID number is NA01. So uh, that's, that's cool. a nice little uh, thing I <laughs> like to talk about. But uh, we, again, yeah. like I said, we are a mobile group. Uh, we cover surgeon-owned, single-specialty, freestanding ambulatory surgery centers throughout the entire state. So we have many different locations throughout, uh, and we travel to these different locations, and we pretty much cover every specialty, um, podiatry, GI, plastics, uh, ortho, vascular, uh, ophthalmology, pretty much everything. Uh, and um, most, you know, it's all outpatient, uh, mostly healthy population. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've been doing it a very long time. Yes, definitely. So like father, like son, entrepreneurs and CRNAs, right? <laughs> That's we great. Actually were, we were the first uh, father-son graduates in the history of Hopkins Nursing School. Uh, there were, there okay. were uh, mother-daughter and mother-son, but there was never a father-son until us. Father-son. Okay. Yeah. All right. So another first. Any other firsts out there for your... <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> That's probably it. Okay. <laughs> All right. How how old was your father when he stopped practicing? Uh... That's a that's a good question. I gotta do some math here. Probably about seventy two or seventy three. Okay. So he, he, okay. He's been retired for about uh, about ten years now. Okay. All right. He went he went for quite a while though. That's great. Oh, yeah. that's he, great. he didn't want to retire. He he left kicking and screaming. He absolutely loved doing anesthesia. He he wasn't so crazy about the administrative aspect of running a practice, but he loved being in the operating room. So to this day he still talks about wishing he could be in the operating room. Yeah, yeah, no, my father-in-law is a general surgeon and same thing, I mean, that is his happy, happy place. And I don't know how old he was when he finally retired, um, but for him it was 
one very minor misstep where his nurse had to question, is that sure? Are you sure that's what you want? And then he realized, oh, that's it. I'm done. And he never walked into the OR after that. Wow. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. That's and tough. I think I don't even remember. I don't remember what the, the thing was, but it was so minor. I mean, you know, whatever, some related instrument or something hand me, you know, are you sure? And, but for him, that was enough to just say, we're not doing this anymore. I've, it's time to go. Um, but yeah, that's hard. That's hard for them when they've dedicated their life to that. So hopefully he's found something else to do that he can feel useful with um, and teach or keep, keep t training people <laughs> or advising you in the background. <laughs> He definitely advises me. That's for sure. Uh, I think he wished yeah. he had gotten into teaching. He never really did. Uh, I, I have, yeah. uh, that's something that I really enjoy doing. Um, and I'm very grateful for that aspect of my career as well. Uh, that is something I find very, very rewarding is working with, uh, with students. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Pass that knowledge on. All right. So these types of facilities that you provide services for are a lot smaller. They don't have those bells and whistles that the larger hospitals do for diversion mitigation or monitoring, such as automated dispensing machines. I imagine a lot of them don't have that. Certainly not the software surveillance that is out there and available now. Waste assaying, probably not. So there's a lot of things that they don't have. So how does that work with combating diversion in those smaller types of facilities? It really is, is doing your due diligence. Uh, they, I mean, a lot of the facilities that we work in, again, you know, I'm a mom and pop shop that covers mom and pop shops. So these facilities, they're all accredited by some accrediting body like AAAHC or Quad A or Medicare or Jayco, there's, they're all certified. They all have inspections. So everything that they do around uh, the drug counts and narcotics, if they have narcotics or anything controlled is uh, compliant with the, with the give, you know, the governor, you know, the governing, governing uh, rules, but none of them have a Pixis, not one. Uh, and none of them have anything that you just mentioned. It's really uh, a cabinet with two locks, two different keys, or under double lock, and uh, a lot of them uh, a book. And you write down what you took and the how much you took, the patient name, and then a witness to a waste or taking out the drug. And uh, I have to say it, it's worked. Um, because I can tell you in my career, you know, of owning this business, there have been a few people that were caught diverting, uh, in those, with those systems. So as long as the people in, you know, in these facilities are doing what they're supposed to be doing when it comes to accounting, uh, the system works. Yeah, and that's what I want to talk about today. I think we get kind of caught up in we need to have the latest, the greatest, let's implement one more thing to help us. And, and all of those are valuable and they definitely serve a purpose, especially if you're in a larger institution. But I think really if we trained everyone that works there on what diversion is and what to look for and that they need to speak up if they are concerned about anything, 
then that might actually be all we need. And we don't need all of those bells and whistles. So let's talk about that a little bit. Do you give any education to your new clients on substance use disorder identification when you contract with them? I do not, uh, because okay. it really isn't, it hasn't been about identifying it in the person uh, because I honestly, I honestly have a hard time with that myself, even though I now in my many years have a lot more education, a lot more experience with that. I still would not feel like I could go up to a person and say, Hey, you need to get tested because you're acting this way. But I can tell maybe a facility, Hey, you know, or if a facility comes to me and says, Hey, they look different, they're acting different. Then I can, you know, because I don't work personally with these people, you know, every, every anesthesia provider that works for me works by themselves in these facilities. So it's up to the facility to then reach out to me if they're acting different. And they always do because this type of a setting is a personality game. It's not just the practice of anesthesia. Everybody has to get along. Everyone is a customer, not just the patient, but the surgeon, the staff, the people that clean the facility, it doesn't matter who it is, everyone is a customer. So what we try to do is have consistency in the providers that go to certain locations. So if a provider goes into these different locations and starts to act differently and look differently, then I'm going to hear about it from the facility. And it may not be for them, it may not be them calling me and saying, hey, we think they're diverting or that we think they're on something. They're gonna call because they called and said, he came in cranky today and he yelled at me and I don't like that. So it's that kind of, that, that kind of thing. But to me, that's a red flag right. because it's something different. They're acting different. So then I might, right. you know, when the red flag goes up, then you start to look in a little bit deeper. Uh, but most of the time or, or the times where I had to truly address a diversion, it was because of the accounting system. Hmm. Okay. So if they, so they, you, you put a provider there, you try to keep them consistent. They're obviously going to tell you, yep, like this one. Great. Everything's great. Cause I'm sure you're checking in with them if it's a new client. Mm -hmm. And then over time, if you get a report that's not so great anymore, then that's when you start looking. But outside of that, if something is missing, even if there haven't been behavioral issues, then that's what you mean by it's an accounting system. And then they will come and say, hey, Matt, you know, we've had some stuff missing. We need to look into right. this. Right. Exactly. Okay. And, and okay. that's when I will, you know, directly address the provider about it. Uh, and we start talking things like testing and stuff like that. And, and again, if, if I were the provider, and someone were to come up to me and say, not only are you acting differently, or I've been, I've been told that you're acting differently at this facility, but now they're telling me that there's a discrepancy in, you know, let's say fentanyl. My first response to that as a provider is test me, test me right now. What do you want? You want blood? You want urine? You want hair? You want a nail? Test me right now. That's what I want to hear. But of course, as we all know, if the person is uh, actually diverting, you hear everything else like, oh, no, you know, whatever, you know. So when you confront a person, there's a lot of information that you can get 
just from that first interaction. Um, so that's the next step when you start to hear not just they're acting differently or this happened or that happened, but also, all right, now there's a discrepancy in the numbers. Okay. Yeah. And do you recall over the times where you've had incidences, I mean, has there pretty much always been a report of some behavior thing that you felt was maybe a one-off and you talk to them and say, Hey, you know, stop being grumpy or whatever it is. And then the counts are off or have you ever had anything where the counts were off and yet there were no behavioral? I mean, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, are we going to see, especially in anesthesia providers, are we going to see the behavior start to change before we see something missing? Because quite frankly, there's so much you can do at the bed to not make anything look like it's missing, right? As an anesthesia provider, I think it's fairly easy until you're really having a hard time thinking clearly and the disease has progressed even further and then you start getting sloppy. So I'm wondering if it's always behaviors first and then things start missing, going missing. Definitely not always. Definitely not always. Okay. So I've, I can say that I've pretty much seen it all. So that's why we have okay. to lean so uh, heavily on the accounting system and make sure that it is not just left as something as secondary uh, as part of the duties of, 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 of all the individuals in the operating room because it is that important. So uh, because I have seen where we had a, I mean, we had a model provider, everybody loved this person. And, you know, I get, I get a call. I mean, of course I was, you know, I, I'll never forget it. Cause I was on vacation. I was actually on a cruise ship and I was walking to the dining hall I don't even know for why the fifth phone. time that day. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I don't even know why I had my phone on me because it shouldn't have worked, but it did. It rings, and it was my secretary, and I could hardly hear her because we were at sea. And uh, she's telling me that a facility called and said this person was diverting, and this was the just a just a wonderful wonderful provider. And when I say a wonderful provider for me in my realm, it's not just about the practice of anesthesia. They have to be, they have to get along with everybody. You can be a fantastic anesthesia provider in a hospital, but everybody hate you and you're still going to yep. have a job. But in my <laughs> I'm realm, sure there's a lot of listeners out there that know that. <laughs> great. But in my realm, not only do I need a good anesthesia provider, I need someone that plays well with others. So to find yeah. that package is hard. It's very hard. So this person was the whole package. And obviously it was very disappointing to hear that. Um, but uh, yeah, so there was no sign for this individual, no sign whatsoever. Um, but on the other hand, yes, I have seen where I was hearing about bizarre behavior and uh, belligerent behavior, things like that. And it was every excuse in the book until we finally, you know, started to go down the road of testing or talking to them about it, you know, more directly. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. I, I would not have thought that the counts would be off before they started seeing something that at least they could, now they put two and two together, you know, it's like, Hmm. So yeah, that's an interest, not the answer I expected. So you get the call and then you follow up. Do you, 
take care of all of the interviewing and stuff yourself or what is your process? You had mentioned drug testing. Do you ever have anybody that's test me, test me, and then you do and they come back positive and it's like, why did you take it this far? They think you're bluffing. I often talk about individuals who are using as having a chronic lack of creativity because they all have the same argument. Oh, I, you know, they all deny it and they, you know, they all say, or they all have a list of excuses at the ready, uh, at least in my personal experience in dealing with uh, people that are diverting. Um, I, historically, what I used to do was give them a call and talk to them about it, listen to all the excuses that were at the ready. And then I would, you know, depending on how far down the road it had gone, um, I would tell them I need them to get tested. And if they don't get tested, then number one, we have to sever the relationship. And number two, I'm going to have to report them to their respective boards. Uh, and that's usually when they'll go and get tested. Uh, the question is, where are they getting tested? What are they getting tested for? Now, this is all before, like, this is my, I, the, that statement I just made is my current education. Uh, back then, I didn't know that you could get a certain test and leave out what you're actually using and make it look like you got a negative test on everything. I had no idea. This is, this was, you know, this is all my current education. Um, so that all being said, I'm sure, you know, so the current, the current, uh, plan or the, you know, if it were to happen again, God forbid, is to of course ring my good friend, uh, Rodrigo Garcia. Uh, I'm sure he's, you know, been on your podcast. Um, and cause he is basically, you know, he's the guru, uh, for, for the subject. So the last time, the, the recent time I had to have what we would call an intervention, I guess I got him on the phone and it was a completely different experience. Uh, I, I got this individual on the phone because uh, I got a call from a facility and I was told that a buy it you know the tech called me and i was told that they actually saw this provider swap syringes right before a fentanyl mm. count so it okay. was this person's caught in the act right yeah. uh the, the 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 swap syringe was saline and the 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 fentanyl syringe went in their pocket and then they did the count um thought no one saw them now to this tech's uh credit they didn't get all gossipy. They didn't run into their manager's office. They didn't run into the surgeon's office. They called me, which I've always appreciated because we were able to address it in a positive way. Meaning, long story short, with 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 Rigo's involvement, this person has been through treatment and has come out the other end and is doing fantastic. So, um, but back to the point of bringing him up, when I called him to ask him the, you know, for advice, it was, okay, this is what we're going to do. We laid out an entire plan. I called the provider, let them know that they were accused, but told them no identifying information of the accuser. And I did not tell them the facility because I wanted to make sure that if it were to be a positive outcome, that they can go back to work and they're not going to want to go back to work at a facility that, you know, if it was negative. So I wanted to protect, I wanted to protect as much as I could if it was worth protecting. So sure. no, no identifying of anything. It was, I was alerted to this and this is what we need to do next. We're going to talk to this professional. 
He's going to give us all of the options. And the ultimate goal is to vindicate you if you can be vindicated. And then it became a three-way phone call. And I just sat there and listened to an artist at work. I mean, Rigo literally went through every single scenario. If it's this, we'll do this. If it's that, we'll do that. And without asking any questions or making any accusations, just went through every possible scenario that you could possibly have. And at the end of the spiel, the provider said, if I get a test, it's positive, I'm an addict. And that was the first time I've ever had an experience where they were given no out and they had to just say, yeah. And mm -hmm. because of that positive experience, because that to me is a very positive experience, because of that, they had no rabbit hole to go down to continue this road. They had to, that their only choice if they wanted to stay in this career was to get treatment. They did. And now that person is doing fantastic. So I'm very grateful to have the resource of Rego now about now in my corner, if God forbid it were to happen again. Right, right. Yeah. Now that sounds great. So prior to engaging him to do what he did, what were the outcomes? Did the did people just deny, 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 and okay, take the drug test? And then it's like, okay, well, we're reporting you, and that's kind of that. Well, this particular individual was um had a bit of a history so was getting periodic testing but this is where i learned that you can get testing make it look like because you're getting a bunch of tests make it look like you're negative but be on something that they're not testing for i had no idea you were able to do that so that's where i learned that um this person was very smart about about their usage uh, and you know, so that's, that's how that they were working that out. Um, and there was appearance and behavior problems or were appearance and behavior problems. But, uh, again, you have to kind of look at the difference between, okay, is this, uh, this person's personality? Because we all have met some interesting mm -hmm. personalities in healthcare, uh, or any career, I'm sure. Uh, so you have to kind of weigh that and. But the, yeah. the, the interesting thing about this past person was they were getting tested and they did look negative. So we chalked it up as a personality issue. And it, but it turned out they were using something that wasn't being tested. And, you know, who was to know? It's somebody like, right. you know, a professional involved, you know? Right. Well, that's interesting because that's, I mean, that explains why some people who do have a problem will say test me and they'll offer it up so just because somebody like you had said if it were me i would say test me test whatever you want um but they've maybe been there done that and they know that some panels are not i mean they're gonna fly under the radar so they're very quick to say go ahead test me and then they come yes. out negative and so then you think it's yeah um because I mean, anytime somebody says, test me, you would think that as long as you, you follow through and make them get tested, um, then they must not be using anything. Otherwise, why would you say, test me? I mean, yes. And the, and the other thing about it, and this is the other education I got, which was crazy to me, was that um, you, 
uh, addicts can buy urine. Uh, they'll go to head shops and buy urine and they'll use prosthetics. So if you have to go into some testing center where you're being watched, they will actually use a prosthetic that has the fake urine in it. So, so they, they're going the extra mile to be able to continue huh. you. Uh, I mean, it, it really, it, it gets crazy. So there's a, there are ways around the typical testing uh, uh, regimen. So you know, these are things that a lot of people are not aware of uh, when, when right. they're, you know, administrators, they say, all right, go get tested. Oh, okay. It's negative. You're fine. Well, did the person right. use their own urine? Did the person go to a head shop by urine? Did they use a prosthetic? Did they, you know, there's all these different things. Uh, did you test for what they're using? Like when it comes to synthetic narcotics, like Dilaudid or fentanyl or Remy fentanyl, two fent, not Remy, but semi, well, <laughs> if you're using Remy, you're a brave person. But anyway, um, you have to specifically test for that synthetic. You can't just look on a panel and see narcotic negative and think that they're okay because that could mean uh, the, like the natural narcotics like morphine. So um, you have to specifically test for the drug that you're looking for, like fentanyl or Dilaudid or something like that. So those are, yeah. this, these were all the education. This was all the education I got uh, fairly recently with this last intervention that we did. Okay. All right. When it comes to behavior or appearance changes, from your experience, are these pretty rapid changes, indicating a rapid progression of disease, like so obvious that everyone really should find it and notice it or question it? Or is it more gradual and intermittent from your experience? From my personal experience, it's gradual. Uh, and that's why I think that a lot of people have a hard time pinpointing the connection between the change in, in behavior and appearance to uh, usage. I can tell you that in training, uh, I had a best friend who um, I, I always, in fact, I tell this in one of my classes uh, at the universities, uh, and I, I still remember, you know, because everybody gets the, the drug talk when you're training, right? Everybody has a professional come up to them or come to their classroom and tell you, you know, give the drug talk. And I would, I, we, you know, and, and when we were training, we all had our same seats. Like it wasn't assigned, but we all kind of picked, you know, being in the same seat in the classroom, but this was back in the day when we actually used classrooms. Um, and I was in the back in, with my best friend. And the reason we liked the back seat or the back was because we, be able to lean our seats back and lean our heads against the back wall of the classroom, right? So I loved that back seat, and, uh, as did my best friend, uh, you know, at the time. And I still remember one of the statements that this person who was talking about drug usage uh, made. They said, it's always going to be the high-functioning, high-performance person. It's, you know, of course, it's going to be somewhat statistically someone in this classroom is going to have an issue with uh, drugs in your career. And it's always the high functioning, high performance uh, person. It's going to be the individual that's the highest, you know, higher percentage in the class. And my friend and I said, well, we're safe, you know, so, um, <laughs> yeah. 
but, but that all being said, about three years later, my best friend's wife called me to tell me that he was on his way to rehab. And mm. I could not, it was like being hit by a ton of bricks. I had no, I mean, I just, I was, it's just, I was beyond shock. However, when I was told this, then it all started to make sense. Wow, he was, he was acting differently and he did start to look different. And he did have bloodshot eyes all the time and he did start to gain weight and he did have more of a negative attitude. So, you know, so it was gradual, but when it all fell into place, when the reason came out, oh yeah, oh, now that right. makes sense. But until then we were like, wow, that's just him, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that because it's a bit gradual, that's what makes it a little bit harder to, you know, to connect to, uh, to you. Right. Because we are, we're yeah. a stress and too. Like that's exactly. what I, one of my main, one of my main missions, uh, secondary, you know, one of my other things that I've been working on, as you mentioned, is uh, healthcare provider wellness, because we are taught to only take care of others and not ourselves. So because we're in a stressful profession, some of those symptoms that we're talking about right now could be due solely to long-term chronic stress. Uh, and so that's kind of where maybe a little bit of rationalization may occur if a person yeah. were to say, well, you know, he's been, you know, he, he or she had that terrible outcome and they may have PTSD or they may have this, or they're not sleeping because of that. And, you know, if a person doesn't sleep because of stress or PTSD or something, you're going to have those same exact symptoms, if not worse, if it's a chronic situation. Absolutely. So yeah. that's the other difficulty in, in identification. Yeah. And it's easier to believe or to talk about the case or the stress in general or the night's sleep than to say, do you have a substance abuse problem that you need help for? I mean, much easier. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So the co-founder of Provider Wellness Symposium, what is that? So uh, I, I get co-founder me the other founder is uh rodrigo garcia um as oh, soon okay. as i met him as soon as i met him we were immediate friends and i consider him uh one of my closest friends uh and we immediately went into business together not long after meeting with each other and uh i have been wanting to do something like this for a very long time and that was putting together a medical conference that was geared solely for talking about teaching, empowering self-care in the healthcare provider population. It is a medical conference, so it offers continuing education credits to all specialties, uh, CME, CEU. Uh, but the difference is you're coming there to learn about how to take care of yourself, not others, because you already know everything about how to take care of your, uh, take care of others. And you've been taught through your whole career to only do that and not worry about yourself. I mean, we are placed on a pedestal if we push through sickness or stress or illness or anything, mental illness, and we push through that to take care of others. People like that are actually put on a pedestal in our profession. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we're dropping like flies right now. That's one of the reasons for the terrible provider shortage, because people are leaving the profession in droves because of this, the, the terrible conditions and we're, you know, and this culture of poor self-care. So this event 
really works to change that culture. Uh, and one of the unique things about this event is it, it is similar to a traditional uh, medical conference in that there are many lectures from professionals and experts in the field of wellness, uh, both in the medical field and outside the medical field. But the other thing that's interesting about it is there are also experiences. So not only do you go and get to listen to a lecture on meditation, but then you get to go into another room at another hour and experience meditation with a professional meditation teacher. So like one room meditation, one room hypnosis, one room uh, uh, um, Wim Hof breath work, uh, another one with, uh, you know, we have a professional um, a fitness uh, guru who comes in to teach a class on movement. So all of these experiences that go hand in hand with the lectures that you hear. So what I always wanted was someone was to have people come in, not only hear about it, but then having left experience, experience these things that yeah. they've learned. So then they know, oh, wow, that felt great. I got to keep doing that. I mean, you know, last year we had a Wim Hof instructor uh, come in and do uh, two out, like an hour on the technique and then an hour on the breath work. And we did that twice. And I still know people from that, from that conference that are doing the Wim Hof breathing every single day ever since then. So that's because that's they got, cool. it's because they got to experience it. So, um, so that was also a very unique, but very important aspect of it to me. So, uh, and yeah, you know, it was a great event and we're trying to keep it going because I think it's pretty important. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That, that's a great idea too. Cause you hear about how to do it and you know, theoretically it's good for you, but sometimes you don't know how to do it, where to start. Um, and it's great that you incorporate that experience while they're there too. So they can get, you know, ask any questions or, or see what it feels like or, uh, get some of the techniques a little bit, at least under their belt before leaving and having to watch YouTube videos to figure out the rest of it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. That, that sounds really cool. Um, do you do random drug testing for your providers? What are your, what are your thoughts on random drug testing? I do not, I honestly do not do random drug testing because, um, I use independent contractors. Uh, mm -hmm. and in order to be able to institute something like that, uh, I think I would have to have more power over them, uh, than I do, uh, independent contractors are their own entity. And honestly, the experience that I've had with the things like accounting program, you know, and, uh, and keeping an eye on people, uh, I think that's worked. Uh, I don't think that anyone as far, well, of course, I believe that I don't think I've missed anyone as far as mm -hmm. uh, someone who may have been diverting or uh, right. being on the radar. So, right. um, so far, so good, I think, with the system that we have. Okay. All right. That sounds great. All right. So your provider wellness symposium, how many have you had? Uh, this will be One. year two. Yeah. So far, we've year only two. had Okay. Yes, this is uh, last year was in Austin, Texas. It was the inaugural uh, year. We, you know, like I said, we are hoping to do it for many, many years to come. But uh, this year will be close to in Reston, Virginia, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, um, this will be year two. 
Okay. And what month? When is it? It is the first weekend of November. Okay. And that's actually what we hope to do for every year is try to keep it for, uh, you know, the same weekend, um, just mm -hmm. so people can kind of plan for it. Um, but uh, yeah, first weekend of November uh, of this year. Okay, it's coming up soon. Are you are you full or do you still have openings? We still have openings. Yeah, and actually, okay. I mean, and one of the things, you know, I think that we we really work it so it can take as many people that are as, as are interested in oh, coming. Okay, that's we do it. Okay. At, we do it at a, a a good large hotel with ballrooms, and we have it set up to where we're we're not really going to turn anybody away. Uh, and if it ever got to the point where it gets as big as we would hope for it to be, we'll expand where we go. I mean, I'd love to be able to get to the point where we have to do it at a convention center. Uh, so right now, um, come one, come all. Okay. And is it for all healthcare professionals or just physicians? All healthcare professionals. And CRNAs. Okay. All healthcare. Is, okay. All nurses, doctors. Uh, any specialty, PT, OT, uh, nurse practitioners, midwives, um, fire pharmacists, pharmacists. Oh, fire, fire and police. Okay. I mean, anyone that is caring for others and the job just happens to be as stressful as, you know, as, as part of yeah. the, the definition of the job, sure. um, they deserve to learn how to take care of themselves so they can be better caregivers for others. Okay, perfect. All right. Hopefully people listening will, will take advantage of that. And um, I think that's a great thing. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Matt, for your. Can I get the website? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So it's if, if anyone is interested, the website is providersymposium.com. And people can go there to find information, find out the, about the continuing education credits. And then, of course, they can register for both the event and for the hotel if they wish. But so thank you very okay. much for that. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your time today, Matt. I've enjoyed it. Um, and it's another perspective and you, you put some things to write that I was thinking that my, my perception was a little bit off on what I was thinking. So it's, it's always good to talk to more people that have the experiences and hear that there is no one size fits all. It looks different. I think we did prove in some respects that you don't need all of the fancy bells and whistles. You just need people to be in tune to uh, what is going on around them and to be willing to say something. And then of course, somebody in your position that is willing to follow up and take it seriously and, and do something about it. I think those are some of the, the key factors there. So thank you for sharing that with us. Well, thank you very much. I want to thank you for having me. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please hit that subscribe button. And I want to thank our sponsor again, whose product line is an active deterrent to diversion. CIMI's complete line of innovative tamper evident products and how they work at imiweb.com. And thank you again, Matt. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you.